All right, everybody, welcome to While You're Sleeping. I am your host, Just One. And a lot of people have been asking, like, what I've been doing for the past couple days as, you know, there is a pandemic happening. So there's a shelter in place. So it's a weird time. But during this weird time has brought a lot of new projects to fruition. And I think it's good that we're able to kind of slow down and really get into some other types of passions that I might have put on hold. So maybe like a couple months ago, I bought all this equipment and I said I was going to start a podcast, but life gets in the way. And now we are here. And today's guest is someone that you probably know and you probably heard of and a good friend of mine, Miles Medina. For those of you that don't know Miles Medina, he is a soon-to-be husband, he's a DJ, and he's just a humble guy. Miles Medina, welcome to uh, While You Were Sleeping. How is everything today? What's up, man? Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, good morning. It's good. Nice. Um, did you just did you just wake up? Nah, it's like six p.m. So what what's going on is like, well, what's kind of like your routine been lately? Oh, dude, it's dope. So like, since it's been like everything's shut down, so like I'm not DJing anymore on the weekends. It's given me an opportunity to like develop a normal sleep schedule. So like, I wake up like. 6.37, usually um, Dina, my fiance, is also awake, or I wake her up, and then we kind of just chill, and then, like, we run in the morning, and then, like, we get ready. She goes to work, which is, at the moment, and set up in our garage, and I go to work, which is, like, I have, like, a set, maybe four or five things to do every day, which I planned at the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, like I wrote down what I wanted to accomplish within the next three or four weeks. And I just kind of divided it into smaller daily tasks. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Nice. So you're like working like a nine to five right now. Yeah. And since life is on pause, like you really don't have an excuse to not finish what you're going to do. Yeah, it's great. I mean, Obviously, this whole situation is not great, but, you know, it's important to, like, find the light in this thing and do what you can with all this time that you have at home. At least at least for me, anyways, like, I have a lot of time for you at home. So. Yeah, I, I feel you on that, though, because I, I think, like, part of this, too, and I don't want to get too preachy, but part of this is really for us as humans to kind of disconnect a little bit and to find our way without certain noise. And the noise that's being created right now is part of the reason why, you know, people are feeling, you know, not well, too. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, for sure. Like, you know how to, like, you, you consume information and media and you you really start to believe whatever you hear, you know, and it's just like food, you know, like you can consume trash and feel like shit. It's the same way with information. And I'm not saying there's not truth to a lot of things that are being said, but um, just the way it's being portrayed and how easy it is to obsess over it. It'll, 
it can only make you feel like shit. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I I I kind of like had told you prior to us even getting on um, and doing this is like I really didn't want to talk about it, but I feel like it's such a big topic that we have to at least address it because this is why we're here, and this is why this is what led you know myself and you to even start to be able to have this conversation and be able to put out this type of content. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a really long time is have good conversation with the people around me that are doing amazing things. But because we're so busy, we're so caught up with with our lives that you don't really get to sit down and talk to people anymore. So this is a good excuse for for people to really connect and even for me to really connect with my friends and stuff and, and hear, you know, some stories. And I think it's going to be beneficial for all the listeners to really hear what, you know, you have to say about certain stuff. But um, just getting back onto topic, though, before you were a musician, you were just Miles. Where Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born in Daly City. And I was in Daly City till like five, five years old. And then I moved to Fremont, which is where I did like the majority of my growing up. But I also spent my summers in Vallejo. So um, it was like a mixture of all three of those cities. Yeah, because then you got a little bit of East Bay. You got a little bit of the peninsula, San Francisco and then you got Vallejo. So spending in summers in Vallejo, like, what was that like? So I spent summers with my cousins, Ryan and Loren, and they're, like, a little bit older than me. So, like, being the only child, they were, like, my, the older influences on me. You know, like, when you have, like, the older brother, older cousin who can kind of influence you. So that's kind of where I learned everything that's where, like what I learned like what hip-hop was and like just all this shit that kids were doing because like prior to that it was just me and my parents so like it's just I learned whatever my parents do so I guess in Vallejo is kind of where I learned about like what kids were doing what what was like your first memory of hip-hop in Vallejo or was it was it in Vallejo or was it in Daly City or was it in Fremont it was a uh, California love it was my cousin got the cassette and i was like what is this and <laughs> she was like oh you have to listen to this shit and then like I, at that time like whatever she would say like was a go for me like yes like everything like, <laughs> um yeah california love i remember because that that was that's funny because like that's a double disc cd so that was <laughs> that was like 10 tapes then back then <laughs> Yeah, man. I don't remember, but like, I remember. I remember the cover. Obviously, it's iconic. But like, I just, I was like, I was like, what's Tupac? <laughs> <laughs> and then California Love, and then you saw the music video. I didn't even see the music video. I don't even remember what the first music video I ever seen was, but I don't remember that video as a child, anyways. Okay, got it. But you do remember hearing it from your cousin one summer in 94, 95, maybe? 
Mm-hmm. I forgot when that came out. And you were like, yo, this is crazy. Yeah. And I'm too young to even understand anything, you know, like lyrics or music or like, I'm, I'm too young to even think that that's some like new crazy like version of music so to me i'm just like oh this is like a different type of music that i never heard yeah for sure i mean because like growing up in your house though like was there a lot of music that was like being played in the house or or like like what was the stuff that your parents were listening if they were even listening to music yeah nonstop. like my dad plays guitar so like it was always he listens he listens to jazz mostly and like my mom listens to like soul and r&b and like michael jackson and stuff so um it was a mixture of those two things yeah because like dr dre is probably like the guy who took a lot of his upbringing of the music that you know his mom and dad were playing and then really brought that to hip-hop yeah he i mean he was he was a dj a really dope dj and he just he figured out how to how to turn DJing into making like really good music. Amazing music, because like for me, my f- like kind of like time where I was like, "Wow, what is this?" was the Chronic. Nothing but a G thing came out, and it was like mind blowing. the The beat, and then like you know, waiting to watch Yo MTV raps, and to see like these guys like you know just with six four impalas and like you know kind of rarely representing the west coast it was more la for that for them but it was it was still big because it was still california you know yeah so like how old were you when that came out maybe like fourth grade fifth grade ish and no maybe yeah, when I don't it came know. Out, you were like, you listened to it when it came out? Yeah, so <laughs> they wouldn't sell it to us at, you know, like the Sam Goody or, or I think it was called Musicland at the time in Southland Mall in Hayward, California. But they wouldn't sell it to us because it was explicit content. You know, you had to have a parent with you. But somehow we ended up getting the tape and like we didn't know what the chronic was. You know, we didn't know that that whole, like his whole packaging was a zigzag cover. We didn't know none of that. We didn't know that the green leaf on his hat, we thought that was a sports team. But so like it it just brought us into this whole new world of like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it still is. Like, um, (laughs) like, I'll be honest, like I listened to that album or a lot of Dr. Dre stuff. And I was just doing this yesterday. Like it, it still is crazy, and like nothing to me has ever topped it, like production-wise, and like yeah. you know, not to get like nerdy, but like it, not no one has accomplished what he has sonically. For, for sure. No, we were listening to that Roy Ayers "Ubiquity of Sunshine" uh, sample. Yeah. Because I think the homie uh, Provident was playing it on the keys the other day. Oh. And, you know, I was, like, just referencing referencing that sample, 
and how many people have used it, but Dr. Dre used it the best. Or it's just an iconic thing that they're showing him, like kind of listen to it in his bedroom when the NWA movie. But yeah. then to hear the song, and I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how he did it, man, to, to this day. Yeah, uh, one day we're going to get him on the show. <laughs> and we're going to ask him, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. okay, so... Doctor, or excuse me, yeah, Dr. Dre's production, Tupac spitting some of the, you know, craziest lyrics at the time. And then, so you fell in love with hip-hop, or you're exposed to hip-hop at that time. And then, how did you get your first set of turntables, or how did it come where you're like, yo, I want a DJ? Was there, did you play an instrument first? Like, how did, how did this all happen? I think it was a, f- a few things. I think it was like going to family parties and seeing the DJ who, aka like just the guy who was in charge of the music playing records. And I think like my uncle was a DJ, but you know, just playing like CDs for the family. And then my auntie who would have like parties every now and then, who was like probably in her twenties at the time, she would have her friends DJ. And that's where I got like really, I would just stay glued to the dude like just watching him like what is he doing like this is crazy and then like obviously on the radio in the bay like there's mixed shows every week and it was just all those things at once and then i was just like i need to do this how do i who are some of the mixers like that you were like looking up to at that time i think it was like rich luxemana era Um, okay so like it was those guys and like, you know, Majestic Chris and I'm sure like, I'm sure like Scotty Fox was on and like Jazzy Jim was on. Um, again, I'm too young to even, to even understand most of this shit. So all I know is like, I see two turntables and I just want to somehow get my hands on it. You, know? you just gravitated towards it. Yeah. But you know what's crazy though is that you mentioned that your aunt was like having her friends DJ at like the family party, right? Yeah. yeah. The other day, myself and Les, you know, played my goddaughter's 13th birthday. And I'm kind of starting to see how it's all coming full circle because it's just a part of our culture of music and everybody, you know excited to gather for food and drinks and music and stuff that so it's it's really in our dna you know for sure like dina's cousin is gonna have a cotillion and they asked me to dj (laughs) when is that yeah dude you're definitely invited (laughs) for sure so okay so you you saw it and you're like yo i want to do this But how did you get those turntables? Like, what did it take for you to get those turntables? So what's funny is I actually, my cousin from Vallejo, Ryan, who's older than me, I convinced him. Well, he was kind of, he was kind of like into it too. So like, I kind of convinced him to ask his parents for a setup. And like, he got one for Christmas or his birthday. And we would get records from our uncle. Like, they're all freestyle records because he used to DJ and um we would mess around, but then like, I was kind of, again, like I was such a kid that like, you know, my parents are not going to buy a little kid, a bunch of turntables, you know, it's like thousands of dollars. So I guess after like a year or so, 
they knew they and I was like kind of persistent with my interest in it. They're like, okay, you know, you probably you're probably really into this. So like, they got me a mixer, and that's it for Christmas. It was just a mixer. I figured it out. Like, I had my Walkman and my Discman, and I just hooked it up to the mixer, and I would just like try to mix stuff together. That's so dope, dude. Because you know, it reminds me of how like you would like make a tape off of recording songs off the your dad's like hi-fi stereo and stuff. So you'd have to pause it before before the guy started talking. (laughs) So it kind of sounded like you know you had the track and stuff. Yeah, dude, that's exactly what I would do because it's like (laughs) limited technology. It's a freaking disc man. And a Walkman, and you know that pause is like you gotta hit the pause exactly where you need it to. Right. So you're kind of mixing records on that, and then, but so how did you get your first turntable? Did Ryan like end up quitting? He was like, "Yo, you could just borrow this, just hold on to this." Not yet, but I I want to say the next Christmas I got one turntable, and then that was more than enough for me. So like my setup then was like one turntable and a a disc man which was like to me that was everything <laughs> so you're sc- scratching on one side and then you're playing a song on the disc man yeah like no complaints either like i was super happy with that so like you're just in your room for hours you know chilling playing freestyle records <laughs> <laughs> playing some some tupac or whatever you can get your hands on at this time right yeah, so what I would do is, since I had a disc man, I would buy mixtapes like at Sam Goody because on the mixtapes, there was like 12, at least 12 different songs and they're all hot songs. So it's like, now I could mix with these mixtapes and have like 12 more songs than I usually would. No, keep going, man, keep going. I was going to say, like, what's crazy is what I really remember distinctively going to a Sam Goody and buying one of these mixtapes. Um, I want to say, like, one of the first ones I ever bought was, was E-Rock's mixtape, which is kind of crazy. Shout out E-Rock. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this is the mixtape era. This is the era where people are just putting like compilations of hot songs on one album and then they're basically selling it back. And this is where DJ Drama and everybody got in trouble for racketeering. Yeah, I mean, people were buying mixes, dude. Like, you know, there's there's no downloading music and a lot of these songs that you want are sometimes like they don't even come out on CD or cassette. So like if you see like a mix... It has all your favorite songs on there. Of course, you're gonna buy it. You know what? What year is this? You think? Um, I think 2000, 2001, because I think uh, Chronic 2001 was already out. Okay, so it took like two or three Christmases to get your full setup. Um. Definitely, yeah. How, how do you get started in the clubs? Or how did you take this from like the bedroom 
What was the next step after the bedroom? After the one turntable with the disc man playing off of the, the mixtapes, stuff like this. So what happened from there is like, again, my cousin, Ryan, he got a DMC tape and I didn't know what that was. And then it was a DMC 99 or craze one. And then like, once I saw that, that's kind of what took over all of my interest as a DJ. So like finally, when I got two turntables, that's all I was doing in my room was like trying to learn how to, you know, like juggle and scratch and just do whatever I could at the time with the records that I have. And then, so it was mostly just that for like a couple of years. And then I would enter like the local battles. And then the first time I would actually party DJ was probably high school for the dances. Dang. You saw, so the DMC tapes pretty much, you lost your mind after that. And then like, so you're entering battles like all around the Bay Area, right? And because there's an abundance of battles at that time. But I, I actually did some research on you and I don't even know why I have to, but I, I found that you had won like a Bezo battle. Yeah, that was much later though. Oh, okay. So I'm out of the timeline right now. Yeah, right. so battle era was like, early 2000s you know what i mean um, and it was a lot of san jose and san francisco battles yeah and who were judging these battles at the time they were called the finger bangers at the time but the bangers were the bangers now so okay so the the, the finger bangers the bangers like shout out to nick and g-rex and golden child shout out to Cutso and all these cats mm -hmm. but they were throwing the actual battles at that time no, nah, they were just judging because they were like the dudes in San Jose. So like if we were do like a guitar center battle, which was like the big local. So they were dope. They were like, you know, well-established. They were dope. So they would judge like the guitar center battles or whatever it was at the time. And Was that the pinnacle of the battle that was like that? That was the event to win was the guitar center one? Yeah, because it was either a nationwide battle or an internet. It was like a worldwide one. And. Versus like just, you know, the little local battles that we had. Right. And you're like, are you guys are winning gear or winning like money? Gear. I mean, okay. dude, like one year, like Rocky Rock from San Jose won the whole thing. And uh, uh. his he won like a Vespa scooter, I think. <laughs> what a random what a random prize like hey guys today is brought to you by Vespa scooters <laughs> okay so you're battling and then you know things are going cool you're still a kid at this time right you're like you're not even old enough to even be in a club at this point right yeah I'm like 14 15 so you're like really started pretty young in this game so you're 14 and you're hanging around with 20-year-olds, DJing, scratching, <laughs> hanging out in garages, drinking 40s, <laughs> yeah, exactly. smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yep. How does the, the how does the DJing happen like after the battle era? Is it because the battle era went away or was it just like, you know, like I want to play these parties? It's probably a mixture of all those things like you know the battle thing was shifting into a different 
time and like I was growing up like I was you know I hit puberty and like I'm a I'm like a full like 17 18 so I'm into partying now kind of like it's like the hyphy movement so like that's all I care about at the time so that's kind of where it shifted during like turntablism was like also like the rave scene too and like the drum and bass era right yep so and then the party stuff didn't get cool till after they shut down all the raves pretty much yeah i I would agree with that yeah so it it was either you were going to become a rave dj or like a club dj yeah, if I was a little bit older, I would have been a rave DJ, for sure. You would have totally been able to get in as a 14-year-old into a rave, though. But we're, gl- we're glad you did it, though. <laughs> yeah. So you get into the you get into the clubs because, like, what what's the motivation? Is this motivated by, like, you want to party, you want to go see girls, or, or how did this happen? It was more so like, it was always rooted in DJing. So like, I would hear the mix shows on the radio and like, on the weekends, they would go live from the club. Like, I remember like, they would go like live from Club Diesel or whatever, you know what I mean? And like, it would just be, it would sound so crazy and like so much energy. And I'm like, dude, I need to be there in this room and like, it just happened from that. And then finally, when I was 18, I went to Glass Cat, I think. And, like, I watched the DJ just, like, just own the room. You know what I mean? So from there, it was kind of, it was on. So who was, like, one of the first, pro- well, hold on. Let me take a step back. Did Have you ever been to Club Diesel? I was too young. Okay. Well, Club Diesel was probably, like, the craziest, most sketchiest but yet amazing parties that I've ever been to in my life. But I never knew that they went live from Club Diesel, though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. It feels like, uh, you know, forever, like a different life. It was like, it was like if one of like the wild DJs or like if the KML DJs was playing, they would like broadcast from that spot. That's crazy. That's amazing. Wow. I I haven't heard club diesel in a while. (laughs) I have a funny club diesel story is that I battled a bunch of rappers at club diesel. And I feel that Brian V robbed me from me being a rapper because he didn't give me the trophy that night. It was politics. I was in a club diesel rap battle. Wait, okay. Wait, and Brian V is with DJ? No, so Brian V and Romeo used to throw club diesel. Okay. So they had, they had nights where they had like, okay, so eight mile is super popular at the time. So they hosted like a rap battle, you know, in the club. So they would have like maybe like a short like 20 minute window where you're able to like battle, you know, these guys. So in order to battle, I think that you had to sign up before, but you had to bring a couple people in order to get on stage. And I came and I came with a bunch of people 
and I lost because it's crowd participation. And I didn't know that the dude that I had battled was like Brian V's homeboy from Richmond. It was just like the odds were stacked against me. But yeah, that, that I wouldn't say it ended my rap career. But after that, I was like, you know what? I could bring a lot of people to a place. I'm going to fucking be a party promoter. But yeah, no that, was, way. So that was the moment right there. That was the moment, man. Oh, shit. So if I had won, you know, you we don't know where, where, where I'd be right now. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't win. Yeah, I think this, your path was set. <laughs> so you played Glass Cat. No, I just went. Okay, you just went. Okay, so what was the first, like, DJ gig in the club? It was on Broadway. The spot at the time, it was called Zebra Lounge. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you remember that? Yeah, for sure. With Gino, Gino rocks, dude. Were you nervous? Like, how, like, how did it play out? Do you um, remember? Probably. And, you know, I was 18, dude. I was still young. Like, I was underaged. You know, I'm playing for older people. So, but, like, my whole fantasy of, like, DJing in a club is, like, you have to remember, I come from battling where everyone stares at you. So, like, and people care. When you go to the club, no one cares like that about the DJ. So, like, that's when I was starting to learn that shit. Yeah. Um, and this was still records. Like, Serato just first came out. So, like... Oh, so you had to bring a bunch of crates. I brought two two or three crates. And I still brought Serato because I had just got it. But I didn't have everything, like, transferred over yet. Did you open or were you closing? I played all night in the front room. Oh, okay. So they gave you the little room. Yeah. And wait, so were you 21? Uh, was this 21 and up or 18 and up? 21. And up. So you're just juiced to be there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because, because I mean, like girls at 18 versus girls at 21, it's like a world of a difference. Yeah, and like yeah. just the vibe is just totally different. You know, yeah, I was just thrown into it and it was just like, you know, it was, yeah, man, like, I don't know. I can't even explain it. You know, it's a whole new experience and I'm just a kid in there and like, I'm, I'm sure I was like getting drunk that night too. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so after that, like, you know, did you have, was it like, yo, I want to DJ more more clubs or like what what kind of got you like regularly in the club dj i was working at a record store called straight hits and it was like my after school job like i would go after school like and there's a there, part of your job it's a small store so part part of your job is to play the new records on the turntable so like yeah and like aka like you're just djing in the store so like i'm just playing and then like this dude comes in He's like, yo, man, um, I play at this club like on Friday and Saturday, it, which was city nice. He's like, yeah, do you want to like just like come through? He's like, I also like promote. So like, I think he asked me to come through and pass out flyers. And then it turned into, oh, we're going to open next week. Do you want to split the, sp the, the time slot with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then like, it kind of, that's kind of how it started because like, City Nights is like super corporate. So 
they just want the same guy every week. Like that's just that's just how they roll. So like when they find a DJ they like, they're like, okay, come back next week. It's kind of like a job. Um, so that's kind of where it, it kind of took off for me, as far as like playing every week. Damn. And then so after that you were able to kind of get your feet wet, right right there, and then. What were some of like your favorite parties that you're playing? Um, so we would do Envy on Tuesdays, which was like 18 and up. So it was like a college, a big college night. So um, are, are you like part of like the Mirror Corp like family at this time? Like they're just plugging you into all their venues? Not me. Um, but the guy that's putting you on. Yeah. Um, okay. So it was literally like three nights a week. So um, for lack of like better terms, like you were like his roadie or like when he wanted to go to the bathroom, you're filling in for him or you're just kind of playing like the stuff that he didn't want to play or like you were like his like assistant. We kind of split it to be honest. We kind of split the night. And we, we kind of both had something different to offer. Like he was, I was always just more so into the music. And I think he was really into the business side of it. And we would just split the night and like, yeah, it was just different. Yeah, well, and see like what was really cool and like part of, you know, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was to show the process and like showing the process that, for all these DJs that are going to listen or might not listen or, or whatever happens that there's steps to get to certain places. And and I think that it's key that like, you know, we go over all this. If I didn't lose a rap battle, you know, I wouldn't have never threw parties, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I'm really trying to show everybody all these little steps. So like everything that you're saying is amazing because they say the hardest thing to like start a business or start a new venture is starting. But now with all this information, I hope that like, you know, we could give this free game to like the kid that's like in the bedroom right now. And they're going to take this and like really run with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been like a, it's been a long journey, but like, also, like at this time, dude, it was DJing wasn't how it is today, where there's like famous dudes who are like getting hella paid, making careers off of it. Like it was not like that at the time. It was like you play in the club, you're dope, you're respected from some people. That was like the height of it. Maybe oh, you're on the radio, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. That was like that was it. Like unless you're like Scribble on MTV or whatever. You know? <laughs> it was um, yeah. Scribble's playing all the hot MTV beach houses. And I was like, man, <laughs> one day I want to go to the MTV beach house with Bill Bellamy. Dude, right? And like Carmen Electra is hosting. Fuck. And Jenny McCarthy. Fuck. Yeah. But okay. So yeah, for sure. DJing wasn't super glamorous. And what year do you think? Because I remember that we were paying DJs like 150 you know 200 bucks maybe like if we had a really good night you get some gas money and then we were paying certain djs a little bit more 
but they're like the gods though. Mm-hmm. When did this jump happen where the money was crazy? Um, like when did the since the DJ become the rock star? I want to say AM. Yeah, I think so. I think you're you're completely right with that. Yeah, I think it it's definitely AM for sure. You're totally right. It has to be AM for sure. Yeah, because he was like the first like celebrity DJ, but like he's also a really dope DJ. Yeah, people need to like go listen to some of the stuff that's still like on SoundCloud. And like, I remember he played this Power 106 set. And if you ever watch the documentary, they're like talking about it. But hearing that set, even to this day, it sounds relevant in a way. Yeah. It's like a classic mix. Yeah, man. He he had his shit dialed in. He has a, he has a live at Alcatraz thing that surfaced recently, and that shit is amazing. I need to hear that. That that sounds amazing. What what were they? They had a party at Alcatraz or something. They had a party at Alcatraz, and uh, yeah, I don't know what for, but like he, this will like his set was so fire, dude. And he's playing like a lot of rock, so I'm. I, there's like pictures from the night too, you know what I mean? And it's like, wow, it's a bunch of people who you think would go party at Alcatraz. So I, I know what my internet black hole will be tonight. Just <laughs> looking at DJ AM live at Alcatraz. Yeah. So. You know, you're playing the, the three nights a week. And then, like, what happens from there? Like, is there is there, like, a defining moment where you're, like... So you're still working at the record store at this time, right? No, because it closed down. Because once Serato took over, all the record stores went away. So was that your transition to becoming a full-time DJ? Or did you, like, work anywhere else after that? No, the record store was like my last job and it just became full time. So it was like, I had the radio, I was on the radio every week as well. So like it was full time and, you know, for a young kid, like I'm making enough money to just get by. And, you know, I'm, I didn't really have like that much ambition at this age. So just having enough was more than enough for me, you know? Yeah, basically, like, you get a pack of cigarettes, you get a couple tacos for lunch, and you're good, right? Exactly. <laughs> I remember those days where, like, you make you make just enough, like, to just kind of live. And, like, you're living, like, with your parents, or you might be, like, living on a couch, but you're making just enough to have the essentials, like, you know, gas in the car to get to San Francisco. Or, you know, to have that one $2 taco meal that you had every day. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was just enough for you to kind of still live out your dream, right? For sure. And like, yeah, for sure. Because like, I'm pretty sure at this time I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to go for it. And like, I want to say at this time, I knew like, I knew I was like, decent and i knew because i came from the battle area i could do more shit technically than everyone around me 
which wasn't a lot of people because you you know I'm only doing the same three spots every week. So like, um, my confidence became to grow, and I was like, okay. Um, at the time, like my idol was like Diplo, so I was like, I think I could. I wanted to be Diplo at this time for sure. Dope. So you wanted to play like Miami bass and fast yeah, stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, so, I mean, after the, like the Miracorp stuff, like what starts to happen for you? Or, or you being as a, you being a full-time DJ, how do you get to the next level where you're like comfortable, but yet you're still kind of like, you know, feeling it out but you're you're not doing too bad though so i want to say from here like the next probably like about 10 years or whatever is just me playing in clubs but like just different types of clubs because i'm not doing the whole city nights thing now i'm playing with like promoters um kind of writing that way. I'm playing at like the, the, the hot spots in the city. Um, and then I'm just doing this for years and years and years. And like, this is kind of where like everything happened because like, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. And then after like 10 years of that, I'm like about to be 30 and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? You know what I mean? And then that's kind of where everything changes and then that's where you have to figure out what you're doing with your life do you do you feel like our job keeps us young and almost keeps us like peter pan in a sense where you're in never neverland and then one day you're like oh my gosh i'm 30 it's now Um, getting real yeah that's probably a good way of of putting it like Cause you know, like that was just like my life every week for a long time. And because I was making enough money to like, to like pay rent and pay all my bills and eat, like I wasn't really tripping off of anything else. For sure. Because it's, it's so programmed, right? And you know that it's, it's going to happen because the city was on fire for a little bit. And I mean, it's since like kind of tapered out a little bit, but in the era like where you're DJing every weekend, that's like 2000, what, 10 to like 14, 15, 16, I'm assuming, or 2008. Uh, I want to, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, for sure. Maybe like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds exactly right, actually. Okay. Yeah. So like, I mean, that was like when there was a, a good amount of clubs nowadays, not so many clubs. Yeah. There was a lot of clubs, a lot of spots to do your thing at and be excited about. There's like a lot of spots on the map that you want to, you want to hit. Yeah. Okay. So you, you look up, you realize you're getting older how did the Goldies thing happen? So it came at the perfect time because this is when I've been sort of stagnant in my life and I'm I'm now realizing this. I'm now I'm now very unhappy 
with where I've, where I've come and like, I know it's like time for a change. And I know like I have like the potential if I apply myself, which historically I've never really applied myself to that extent. I've always just kind of just been like, whatever, um, not super motivated, just whatever. So like the goal just comes and it's exactly what I need to like push myself to. And the fact that like I actually put myself out there, it was probably like the most vulnerable I put myself in. Cause like now I'm going to like put to test what a lot of people say, which is like, you know, obviously your friends are going to tell you like you're a good DJ. So I'm like, I'm like, this is it. If I, if I suck now, like it's going to be, you know what I mean? Now, did you have a backup plan if you did suck? Or this is like, this is like all, I'm putting it all on the line here. This was it. Like this was on my vision board, dude. Like it wasn't even to win. Like I I just wanted to get on that stage because like everyone who's judging, they're like all my heroes, like from certain parts of my life. So I'm just like, if I just get on that stage in front of them, that is a win in itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you you got on stage. Well, uh, now I heard there's a story that you didn't even, you almost missed the deadline. Yeah. 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 I was in Reno, bro. So I was in Reno. (laughs) (laughs) And Reno's a dangerous place. (laughs) I've, I've heard, right? So first of all, like, they only, I want to say they gave us like two weeks or something to like do our submission video, which might sound like a lot, but it's really not. And like, so anyways, I'm in Reno Saturday, the things due on Sunday. So I go to Reno. I still don't have my video. I still don't have a routine ready. And, you know, I go and do my thing. Like you said, it's dangerous. You know, obviously there's heavy drinking going on. And like, I want to say my flight was at like 12 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the freaking video is due at like 6 p.m. So I'm like in my room. It's probably 5 a.m. I'm like, I need to just go home right now. So like, I literally, I go on the internet. I find an Alaska flight that goes to San Jose because no one's going to Oakland from Reno. So I buy that flight to the airport. Um, I'm piecing together my, my video like on the plane, but (laughs) not not on my laptop, bro. Like I'm writing it down on a piece of paper, like in my head. And I think I still have that paper, dude. And it's crazy because like it really came together on that flight. Wow. Like the whole the the structure of that that routine that i made and like the whole like put some miles on it thing that came together on that flight dude wow yeah so i go to san jose there's freaking no ubers because it's seven in the morning so i have to do a freaking uber xl to to alameda which is like 150 bucks <laughs> so you're so so plus your flight yeah. plus the 150 uber you're already in the hole like 350 Oh yeah, dude. No so, sleep. No sleep. No sleep, but it's important. So I go and practice whatever I piece together on the plane. Um, 
you know, I, I have to practice this thing all day because it's it's physically um, challenging to do. And then like, like just in time to like, it's due at 6 p.m. Say it's like 5.20-ish. Like I don't have time to take a shower. I still just came from the airplane. So I'm like, I can't shower. Let me just put a hoodie on so I could like, at least like hide my mess up hair. And I did it just in time. And what's crazy is that hoodie kind of like worked for in my favor. Yeah. Like I woke up and then there's this, you know, viral, I want to call it a viral video. There's this video that you put out that I don't think you told any of us that this was happening. Like it was all a secret or was it, or was it not? Or was I just late to it? I didn't like announce it, but I, if I seen you recently, I would have told you in person or I might not have, to be honest. I don't know. Yeah. Because then you put this video out in the orange hoodie. And I feel like the orange hoodie is super iconic. And then the internet goes crazy. Yeah. And then, so you, so you get, you get into the Goldies, all our friends, end up linking up to go support you. And then like leading up to the Goldies, how many days did you have to prepare for the actual like event? We had three weeks. So you had three weeks. So in that three weeks, like walk me through like, you know, what you're feeling, what you're doing to prepare. Yeah. It's just, did you cancel like all your gigs? No, I kept all my gigs. I even, Going back to Reno, I even played in Reno. Like, I had to fly to New York from Reno because I was there playing like a Burning Man after party or some shit. Wow. Um, um, yeah, dude, I, I wasn't canceling no gigs, but I was still trying to put my set together. And like I said, I went to Reno again without my freaking Goldie set. Like it wasn't done yet. So like I brought my S nine, which is the mixer that we use my homie in Reno. Um, he DJs out there. He, he let me use his turntables in the room so I could practice. Man. Like, who yeah. was that? Who, who, who gave you the, the turntables to let you I mean, practice? I mean, Gus, dude, the same as Gus. Shout out Gus. We're going to shout out Gus. <laughs> this might have not been possible without Gus. Yeah, man. The Gus came through with the turntables. I was in my room just putting the piecing it together. And dude, mind you, like I have a flight to New York the next day and my shit's not done yet. And like, I'm really starting to panic, bro. Like everything. I'm just like, what did I just get myself into? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm just going to like let everybody down right now. So so, like there's a good, what, 10, 10 of you guys that went? The finalists? No, a good ten, 10 of our friends. Went. Oh, probably at least. Yeah. Okay. So you guys get an Airbnb, right? And like you're in the house with all these degenerate drinkers of our friends. <laughs> like how, how did you focus? Like how did you get to the next step where you're like, all right, guys, I'm ready. Or did you even feel ready? No, I was not ready at all. Like I, again, we went out there. Another homie, let me use his turntables. Um, 
in New York. And I set up downstairs in like on top of the dryer, the washer dryer. And like, <laughs> because I was downstairs, people knew I was busy. So like they left me alone. So they went upstairs, which is where the living room was to go drink or whatever, hang out. And I was dude, literally piecing my set together, making edits until I had to go to the freaking battle. And like, I want to say like, because it was so last minute, I don't even think I've ever like practiced that full set before I even did it on stage because it was so last minute. Wow. Like I remember like Dina walked into the room and we were getting ready and like I think my headphones unplugged and it was playing The Simpsons and like, she looked at me all like crazy. She was like, what are you doing? And, like, <laughs> I didn't her at the time, but I, I remember that moment. Now, I, I know we talk a lot about mindset and like energy and like you know positive outlooks and stuff and we have to save this for a totally different day but what was your mindset knowing that you like how how did you prepare yourself mentally where you're like I gotta get this done and I'm gonna win did you have that mindset like walking into the battle or were you just like whatever happens happens yeah I mean it was like, you know, it was in God's hands at this time. But honestly, the the what was really just going through my mind the whole time is I just wanted to do this set clean because, like I said, I didn't practice the set. So I'm just like, let let me do it clean. That's all I care about. I remember we were there trying to find some turn. T- it was this is the first battle, so like they're super yeah. unorganized. You know what I mean? Like they have all the beat battle guys on stage setting their gear up, doing sound check. And because it runs late, they don't give the DJs any sound check. So they just they just skip our sound check. So we're like, fuck, dude. We need to find like at least one setup so we can all take turns like practicing in the back, which we finally did. But like, yeah, as far as mindset, dude, I didn't even have time to think about that shit. Wow. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> because like I I was unfortunately not able to make that trip. And looking back, I mean, I wish I was there, but I had to watch it on my computer. So when I saw it, it looked like that was something that you had planned for months. It's just like the structure. Like when you do these sets, the structure is the hardest part. You know Uh what I mean? Because you can have all your little things, but it's like putting together an album. Like you can have a million songs, but like. How do you turn that into a, a cohesive album? I feel like that set set the standard for what the Goldies is and created the identity of like, this is the bar that you have to be on in order to win this. And if you look back, and I, I don't know, it might be weird that if you watch that video and you see all the legends on that panel... Manny Fresh, Diplo, Chucky, Hooligan, A-Track. They kind of like disregard this whole thing that you put together at first. But once it started to get into it, everybody's expression changed like dramatically. Yeah, I I could see that. I've never heard that, but... um... 
I know. And it was almost like, you know what? It's good. We're good. It's a shoe in. (laughs) So, I mean, like, you know, you do the, it was like, what? It's like two rounds, three rounds. After you got through the first round, like, what are you thinking? I was happy it was over. (laughs) To be honest, like, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. It's done. Let me just like, now I could actually watch the other DJs. I remember getting like a decent crowd reaction, which was like more than what I was hoping for. You know, like it wasn't like a crazy, it didn't like boost my confidence. Like, all right, I got this like at all. I, I was actually shocked when I made the finals, but like I was still just focused on staying present. You know, I was like, I was like praying like a lot, dude. Like I was going to the bathroom and shit, like praying to be honest. Like I was just, I was just trying to get through this day, dude. Like, and my whole mentality that whole day was getting through, not messing up. And that was it. I was so tired, dude. Like even when I won, I didn't even have time to celebrate because I was just so tired, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's mentally draining. I bet. Yeah. So when they called your name, like, was it like you were you were just grateful and relieved? I think I was in shock. Um, I think at this at this time in my life, like, um, I don't want to say like I'm used to disappointment, but like, I'm always used to like almost getting there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so. Me actually winning something was just completely unfamiliar to me. And it was just like, I, I didn't even have time to take it in. And like, it, it actually didn't hit me till like two weeks later. Wow. Wow. This is really like a crazy case though. Because it's like, you know, have you heard that phrase, idols become rivals? Yeah. But I mean, so you referenced earlier in this this thing that you know you watched Craze in '99 on a DMC tape, and now like you know you're you you just played with them maybe like six months ago in New York. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to see the the whole correlation of like how we're dissecting this as far as like. You know, you saw Craze in 99, and you're like, yo, I'm trying to be battling like this. And then you're able to play with him recently. It's, it's crazy to see. And what's crazy is he judged the battle that I won. And he judged the battle that you won. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's been an incredible journey. And, like, you know, other great things have happened since. I remember the day you guys came back from the Goldies. And you played at Empire Room, San Francisco. And it was kind of like your homecoming party. And everybody was so proud. But the thing that I remember the most was that I think historically we were like a bottle service club known for the turn-up, known for great energy. But that day that you came back, everybody was just focused on you and just stood face forward when you played that night. 
Yeah. And I, we have some amazing pictures from that day. Yeah, yeah. Great photo. You know. So, what, what, what do you got going on for like 2020 or like what are some of the like goals or things you want to do musically, you know, this year? Minus what's popping right now. Man, my goal right now is just like staying humble and like just just like just being of service you know what I mean like I feel like we're all put here for a reason and a purpose and like I feel like we get in the way of it so many times so like at the moment I'm kind of just like trying to listen to whatever my purpose is and just just have like the courage to act on it you know what I mean so um, it's cool. It's, it's been like a very, it's more of like a little spiritual journey versus like a musical one. Cause it's a lot of like listening, like deep inside versus trying to think of what I want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. All right. We're going to close it out, but I have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you real quick and kind of just wrapping it up, you know, if you could, and a lot of people ask this and I'm, I'm trying to find a couple of questions, but with what you just proceeded to, I think that this is necessary. If you could turn back the time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell yourself? Um, Man, shit, that's hard. I have no idea, bro, to be honest. No. I have no idea. Okay. But, I mean, what I got out of all this is that you trusted the journey. You thugged yeah. it out. Now we're here. Yeah. I mean, 18-year-old me was the most carefree guy. And... Um, it led me to where I am now. Like, like because I was so carefree, it wasn't the most structured or the most like ambitious, but it did lead to a lot of great things. So, you know, I would, I would not change that one bit. Great, awesome, awesome. Any last words? Yeah, last words, dude. I don't know. I'm just. I'm proud of you for this whole podcast, dude. Um, we got to do a part two coming up soon. Thank you for, you know, the kind words. Thank you for being on here. And I just want to, you know, keep doing this. And I'm trying to do 10 before the lockdown. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to do 10. So this is number one. So, you know, we're trying to make it happen. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Miles Medina, while you were sleeping, catch me on Spotify and Apple Music. Should I should I be on SoundCloud? What do you think, Miles? Yeah, there's there's a certain type of person who only listens to SoundCloud. Okay, so I will be on SoundCloud. I'm gonna set it up tonight, but Apple Music, Spotify, catch me while you're sleeping podcast. Miles Medina, thank you. 
Thanks, man. I do. Peace.